so this is our first podcast <laughs> and it has been an interesting winding little road um my name is Amber Cabral. You probably heard me on the trailer. And I am here with Takia. Hello. And just to give you a little bit about us and how we got here, I am, my background is in diversity and inclusion. I've developed leaders, um, future leaders, current leaders, and uh, worked in the diversity space for a little more than 12 years. And now I'm kind of doing my own thing and trying to execute a podcast <laughs> with Takia. <laughs> and Takia, you should tell people about you. Absolutely. So my name is Takia Wallace. I am the founder of Brown Girls Do Ballet. It started as a photography project in 2012 and has since morphed into a nonprofit that helps assist young girls continue their training, um, specifically in the genre of ballet. But uh, we've also launched other little hubs along the way. So we are Brown Girls Do. I am a mom, a former educator, and it is always important to me to empower our youth and to give them people to look up to. So that's also important to me as well, <laughs> even though my intro didn't say that. <laughs> and um, I serve as a chair for Brown Girls Do. And Takia and I started talking about having a podcast a little bit casually. And I think if we had known it was going to be as challenging as it has turned out to be, that we might not have jumped into it as ambitiously. But I think one of the things we have in common is we tend to say yes and figure it out. And uh, this has definitely been a yes and figure it out process for us. So hopefully you guys can give us a little bit of grace for our first grace. podcast of Brown Girls Do. <laughs> and you, you said something pretty important, Amber, before we get into this first episode. You said uh, we tend to say yes and figure it out. I think a lot of the women that we have lined up on uh, this current episode and future episodes kind of live by the same sort of... Um, guiding principle we say yes and then we figure it out that's what we do we yeah. do that's kind of what <laughs> brown girls do so should be a pretty interesting set of podcasts uh as we proceed through this season we're open to your feedback but give us a little grace so <laughs> with that we are super excited about our first podcast guest my name is daphne lee i am a professional dancer so Daphne is not just a dancer. She's so much more than that. And we're going to get into that story. But first, just to give you a little background about her parents. So both of her parents immigrated to the U.S. They met in New York City. Mom is from London and dad is from Panama. And they both came over, met New York City. But Daphne isn't from New York City. You are correct. She is not from New York. She is a Jersey girl. And so I asked her, what was it like growing up in New Jersey? Growing up in New Jersey, oh my gosh. Okay, so where I live in Rahway, oh, it was such a melting pot. It was definitely a melting pot. And I used to live in these apartments called the plazas. I mean, that's, that's when I think of Rahway, I think of those specific apartments because that was where my childhood was. But I think about, you know, coming out of that building and waiting for the yellow bus to arrive and we would all put our bags down in a line to, <laughs> to not, to see where, you know, to set our place was in our line so we can get on the bus or we would play 
play double dutch out there. I mean, that's when I really got a chance to experience that black girl magic, I guess. Um, you know, seeing the other girls with the bobos, playing double dutch, learning how to do hair. I mean, it was in that front section of the plazas, learning how to ride a bike, you know, hanging out with the big girls in the jungle gym. And, and being picked on or, you know, getting older and, and teasing others or remember crying <laughs> one winter time when everyone was sledding and there was geese poop and I was so scared to walk on the geese poop. Like all of these little memories and this girl who I thought was like 21 at the time, but she was only like 12. But when you're five, you're like freaking out. <laughs> remember these people who played such pivotal roles in my childhood in Rawway. And, you know, Rawway's always been like, okay, Rawway pride, we're here, we're Jersey strong, like we love Rawway, we have a big mix of where everyone is from. It's always been really good. And I went to Madison Elementary School, I went to Rawway Middle School, and I graduated from Rawway High School, and I have such a strong connection with all three of those institutions, even to this day. So I just, I'm just grateful for those Rawway moments. I mean, they really shaped who I am. I loved it. I had some amazing memories in Jersey. And Jersey is one of those places that has everything. We have beaches, we have the cities, we have the hoods, we have the the beautiful areas with the mansions down in Deal. I mean, we have Atlantic City, we have Trenton. We, we're so close to New York City. So to me, it's like the greatest state. You, you can find anything you want from mountains to the beaches and beyond. So I'm always a Jersey girl by heart. So I can definitely relate to having a lot of passion around your hometown. And I mean, I have a lot of passion around my hometown. I'm originally from Detroit. And I definitely remember going to the downtown fireworks and having to be in the house before the streetlights came on. (laughs) So um, there are parts about growing up in, you know, my city that are very dear to me as well. So I can appreciate that. Yeah, and uh, Daphne's experience growing up in New Jersey also has a perspective of being raised by immigrant parents. Um, with her parents not being from the United States, I'm sure there was a, a lot of things that were very particular in her household. And I think one of the things that we are going to explore with Daphne is her career choice. Uh, oftentimes in immigrant households, you come to the United States and everything is about being upwardly mobile and um, that American dream and providing opportunities so that your family can better themselves in this country. And I think she definitely probably felt that pressure. Yeah. I mean, you see that right now in the news with the Dreamers and DACA and all of the stories that are being told around that right now, just the impact that immigrants have in our country. And growing up, Detroit had a large Middle Eastern population. It's actually where the second largest Middle Eastern population is outside of the Middle East. So growing up with friends who had immigrant parents, parents, I often saw how those parents pressure, you know, we want you to have a professional career or really get into entrepreneurship. Most of my um, friends that had immigrant parents own businesses now. That's, I mean, they were brought up in a, a time and place where that's, that was what you did when you came to the States. So even with the pressures of um, having a f- an immigrant family, Daphne came from an artistic background. Her mom was a dancer. And so it seemed like it would be natural for her to to want to go into the same field or was it? I had no intention of becoming a professional dancer. So after Daphne leaves New Jersey and decides what her next steps are going to be, she decides to kind of fuse her love of dance and uh, a formal education. And so she went on to study at the Ailey Fordham 
program where she got her BFA and it allowed her to be able to, while she was getting this degree, travel around the world and dance and maybe look at things from a different perspective outside of just what the physicality of what she was doing with her body. All these great things were happening. I was really understanding what dance was about. And I definitely believe my education attributed to that because it taught me how to think, not as a dancer, but just how to think outside the box, how to use your artistry and what's happening in the world to add as a voice to your movement, which is something college, you know, universities do. They teach you how to think. And, um, now I dance for Collage Dance Collective in Memphis, Tennessee, which is a contemporary ballet company here. And I'm doing all sorts of works. I'm doing works from my Ailey Fordham training and as well as classical works from my mother teaching me all those years. So it's a pleasure to be here now and see how far I've come, but noticing that you know, I still want to investigate more in the dance world. I still know there's a voice. I still know there are issues in the dance world. And that being said, I applied last year for my master's degree at Hollins University and I got in and I will be completing that degree in 2019. And you're really focusing on, you know, capitalism, social constructs within the dance world. Are dancers able to have a voice to be able to assess what they're doing in the studio? So there's so much going on in the dance world then just a movement than just the the choreographer or lighting and sound there's there's a whole political aspect of what art is and I've fully invested this opportunity from being someone who hated the arts or didn't really care for the arts that much to now getting a master's degree in it I don't know I've just I mean everything she said is I mean it's kind of mind-blowing like I, I just don't know that people consider that they're our politics. I mean, there are politics in everything you do. And I guess if you are a dancer, then you're going to see the politics of dance. But like, you just don't necessarily get to hear that. I think no. people look at dance and they go, okay, she is doing something that's fun, that's beautiful. It, you know, obviously takes talent and hard work to get there, like, you know, being a musician or anything else. But just the fact that there can be some thoughtfulness applied to how can we make the politics of this environment better is I just think that's kind of dope that you can go to school for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, I, I talk to dancers all the time. I think often um, they have internal issues that they may not necessarily be able to or open to not be able to, but open to discussing with people that are outside of the field. Uh, but the fact that there are, things put in or that are being put into place now and degree programs uh, that can help build up that uh, community is amazing. I think it's amazing. Yeah, I think it's also just very thoughtful to see how you can be a participant in the community as an actual performer and still think about ways that you can reform you know, the community, like that's, that's very thoughtful. I mean, it's almost like you hear a lot of our community calling for our role model, you know, the Beyonce's of the world to kind of do something socially. And here you have Daphne saying, okay, I'm going to take that on. And I'm going to go to school to make sure I know exactly how to position myself to do it. I think that's pretty cool. Absolutely. But um, everything has not been an easy road, obviously, for for Daphne, it's not an easy road for anyone. Um, it may seem easy. It may appear to be easy, but there are things that you face in everyday life that um, have the ability to possibly derail you if you let them. Yeah, it's basically not all on the gram. 
Exactly. <laughs> We're all human. We have real regular human worldly things happen to us. And um, let's listen to Daphne discuss one of those things. Back in 2015, 2016, my mother got diagnosed with multiple myeloma cancer and my father has Parkinson's and PTSD. Um, So those two things were frustrating because they were living in New Jersey. I was living in Memphis. When I went to go visit them, the house was a mess because my father can no longer, you know, do things around the house. So my mother was running her studio while trying to take care of this cancer. We were driving back and forth to hospitals. I mean, everyone who knows someone with cancer knows that it's just a pain in the butt a lot of tests, a lot of treatment, um, a lot of support you have to give to the person that's dealing with the cancer, in this case, my mother. Um, And I was trying to focus on learning new works here at Collage. And it was just, you know, what's frustrating is that nobody cares. Like, not that no one cares, but no one, the world keeps turning. There's always things going on and you just have to be present with each and every person. It's not like you can make this whole sob story up. So while we were talking to Daphne and and she was sharing her story, I, you know, I had to ask because I I feel like you make things um, better for someone else, better for the person that's that's tuning in, that's listening. If they know how you happen to deal with all of these things that may possibly um, come at you, whether they be the the uh, a family member being ill or um, not getting something that you auditioned for, like how do you deal with rejection? Because I feel like if you have people who are successful like her sharing those tools or those um, words or uh, little spots of encouragement, it can possibly help someone else later on. And this is what she had to say. Don't look at it when someone says no or there's rejection. You have to think that the words no actually mean next opportunity. And you have to keep pushing in that respect and just keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. So as if being in pursuit of your masters, dancing for Alvin Ailey and being a professional dancer in general are not enough. Daphne has the audacity (laughs) to actually be currently wearing the crown of Miss Black USA. <laughs> like how unbelievable is that? I mean, it's I don't know. Like I I'm I don't know where she's getting her time from. Like I probably need to I should have asked we should have asked that where she gets her time. Time and energy. When, because dance is physical in itself. So when did you have the energy to even go through the process of Miss Black USA? Exactly. We totally didn't ask that and we should have. But um so Daphne is is currently Miss Black USA. We're gonna let her tell you a little bit about how she got to that decision and, and just what made her even consider, you know, going after the crown, if you will. Well, when you think about pageantry, a lot of people just think it's a beauty pageant, like it's about your looks and it's nothing to do with that. Well, a little bit, but not really. But it's more about these women are in school. Everybody wants money. Um, Everybody wants financial aid. And a lot of people don't realize that scholarships are giving away millions of dollars to women who apply um, for various pageant systems from Miss Earth to Miss USA to Miss America, um, Miss Black America, Miss Black USA. These are all organizations that are uplifting women and are catering to their financial needs for education. So because I got into grad school, I thought, oh my God, this is great, but it's $50,000. So I wanted to um, see if I can get some extra funds and I knew I had a chance to compete in this pageant. So 
the pageant came up because I was with my friend um, performing at some event and I remember seeing this actress. Her name is Osis Igadaro from Nigeria. Um, hey Osis, if you're out there listening. She is an amazing actress. She's a phenomenal friend. She's amazing. So I met her and she told me, you know what? You're a beautiful dancer. You should apply for Miss Black USA. And I said, okay, yeah, that would be awesome. It's a pageant. It has talent, Q&A, evening gown. I said, okay, I'm a dancer. I think I can <laughs> I think I can make this work. So I knew that my weakest point in the competition was going to be the Q&A, the dreaded Q&A, because, you know, Trump is in power. You have so many things going on and you want to make sure you're up to date on current events. So every day I would, you know, get friends and family to ask me tough political questions about America, about the world, about um, the black community, you know, health and beauty in the black world, what it means to be an artist, um, any type of question that I thought was challenging. And I needed to create a formula for that answer so that way I can knock it out the park immediately. So the competition rolls around. It's August 20th. And I'm I'm doing my thing. I noticed that I make the top 15, which is excellent. And all of a sudden, my question comes up about um, it's either the globalization of technology or it was something to do with what are the challenges or what are some challenges that women face? So I spoke up. I, of course, I spoke about gender inequality and the wage disparities and all of that. And I made sure at the end of it, I said, you know, when I step into the role as the next Miss Black USA, I will X, Y and Z. OK, see, and this is this is where she channels that black girl magic. Did you hear how confidently she said as I step into the role as Miss Black USA? She knew. She knew. I mean, and she had a plan. She planned what she was going to say, which was very thoughtful. I mean, you know, being prepared. This is I think that's what the lesson is here is being prepared. So then when they started calling those runner ups and fourth runner up, third runner up, second runner up, first runner up. And I was like, oh, my God, there's still two girls that I know are super strong. It's either going to be me or it's going to be two other people. And the question they asked was, who do you think is going to be the next Miss Black USA? And everybody was just like, Jersey, Jersey. And um, they called my name. They said it's Miss Black New Jersey. And I was just like, oh, wow. And, and knowing that I wanted to win because New Jersey has never won Miss Black USA in the 30 year history of the pageant. So it was such a, a little fun historical moment. And just it was just really a blast. So I think it's pretty awesome that Daphne has so much Jersey pride. I mean, like who actually takes the time to research and see in the pageant's 30 year history that nobody from Jersey has won and make it their commitment to be that person. I mean, that's pretty dope. It, it is. And I love the fact that Daphne is so confident in every single thing that she does. And I mean, and even if, you know, we all have those moments, even as confident women where we kind of go, well, I, you know, can I do this? Can I not do this? Um, confidence is so important to have. And as an aside, I actually had the chance to meet Daphne in person in 2016. After seeing that firsthand, um, I was at the Schomburg in New York City um, for a special viewing of of a piece and a panel discussion from um, a project that she was working on, the Black Irish Project. Shout out to Jeremy McQueen. Um, so wait, wait, yes. what's the Schomburg? Is it a theater or? Uh, the Schomburg, it's in New York City. I think it's a part of the New York Public Libraries system. And it's basically a research center 
um, solely focused on black culture. So they have all kinds of events there and tours and different um, talkbacks so that people um, in the area um, are not in, in the area beyond people who visit New York um have that experience. So it's a really cool place. And uh, Jeremy McQueen was there previewing the Black Iris Project. And Daphne was on a panel kind of talking about the concept of Madiba, which was um, the piece, the, 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 the piece that they were performing and her role as Winnie Mandela. So I think the question in particular, there were there was a Q&A kind of at, at the end after they performed and um, after there was a panel discussion about diversity, um, a black woman stood up in the audience and she asked Daphne specifically why she chose to conform to European standards and wear her hair in a ballet bun. And that is when it started. <laughs> You know, and I just remember sitting up a little bit straight. I was very quiet because I wanted to execute my answer that wouldn't offend anyone, but also to educate her that, yes, the ballet comes from, you know, the Italian and French Renaissance where the women's hair was always pulled up. You never had your hair down unless you were at home or you was a woman of the night. Your hair was never swinging or down on your epama, a.k.a. your decolletage. You always wanted to show off your long, lean neck and, you know, your jewels that would be placed above your bust line. So your hair was always up. So that's the tradition of it. But I really wanted to explain to her that, yes, as a professional dancer, I'm fitting the tradition of the ballet world with my natural hair. I'm not going to rock my hair in a fro unless it's for a specific choreography or a specific piece specific piece but when doing these classical roles you want to show that you know women of different skin tones and hair textures can do the same traditional styles and that's something I wanted to put forth and she was educated after that it was almost similar to you know President Obama was was in office at the time and he's not going to roll up to the White House wearing Timberlands and jeans he could but that's not traditionally how it's done and I said something like typically with black people they we always want to be so creative and that's that's great but we can never stick to the tradition when you become a doctor you wear that white lab coat because that was the tradition when you become president you still wear your suit and tie and the little american flag pin like that's how it's done so same thing in the ballet world you have your tights you have your earrings you have your hair in a bun or it's pulled back you know so i really wanted to make that statement that no we're not um, conforming to a, a, a European aesthetic. I'm still in a European art form, but I'm making it in a way where I can still blend in, where I can still do my own hairstyles, but have it be pulled up. So that way young girls know that they don't have to relax their hair. They don't have to wear weaves. They can still put their hair in a bun and we just need more artistic directors to see black girls' diversity with their hair. They're not against it. They just don't always know what it can do. And we can do so much with our hair. And especially I got that 4C, so my hair is the real zigzag kink. <laughs> so I make sure that I always have my hair in some type of natural looking style. One of the feedback I got from becoming Miss Black USA was that I had my hair in faux locks. And, you know, thinking this was a black pageant, I expected all sorts of black styles, but everybody had weaves. Everyone had extensions and nothing wrong with that. But I just thought, oh, I thought we were going to embrace. I mean, that's the mission statement to uplift and embrace women of color and their unique traits. So I remember two ladies had a fro. Everybody else had sew-ins and I had faux locks. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, oh, my God, the faux locks will look really good in the evening gown if I can pin it and tuck it up. And then for fitness, I can wear it down. And I remember 
everybody was just so interested in that. I said, there's so many unique things we can do. We just need society to see more of that so that way it becomes normalized, but also to know that I can still adhere to the traditional values of ballet if needed. I still think generally speaking, the hair conversation is, I mean, it's a real thing for black women. I mean, just think about, think about what we went through for our logo. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We were really, really, really thoughtful about, okay, we want her to have curly hair. You are absolutely correct. I think I think hair is a huge thing, especially amongst people of color who who do have a little bit more kink in their hair or kink in their hair. Um, and just like you said, when we were looking at logos and trying to figure out how to make sure that all of the branding was aligned, the hair was important. It had to be the hair had to be representative of an array of brown women and not just a particular brown woman. Right. Um, so, but I, our our Bella Bella's hair is in a bun. It's in a bun because it's we in a bun. because e- even in thinking about Bella when we first put her together, and if anyone's not familiar, the Bella logo is our our, our uh, logo is called Bella, and there are two different. Uh, um, versions versions of her there's one that is just the head her hair is pulled back into a proper ballet bun because even though she represents all the different shades of brown um dancer we wanted to make sure the same way that Daphne is talking about um uh, in her piece that we are following the rules and 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 that's not to say rules can't be broken if you look at any pictures of Daphne her photo shoots she always has her fro out or she's got her faux lock she plays with it but when it comes time to go on stage she knows that it's it's like a uniform there are different people um who wear their uniforms if you see Janelle Monet, you know she's probably gonna have on black and white that's her uniform you know um and I like aspire to have a set uniform as well so <laughs> my thing is, is I'm always wearing the branding of whatever I'm representing that day that's what I do um um, and, and I think that it's okay to have that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think Daphne touched on a really, really valuable point with, there is a lot of diversity in our hair and there are a lot of issues and emotions and complexities <laughs> in our hair and being able to be versatile enough to when appropriate, you know, kind of tighten it up and wear the uniform and know when you can relax that uniform and show a little bit of your identity is a big part, probably even a big part of her being Miss Black USA. Absolutely. Honestly. Absolutely. So Ooh, hair. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, oh, hair. Uh, <laughs> hair. <laughs> right. That's why I cut mine off a few years ago. <laughs> I like to switch mine up. It's about the only thing I switch up. <laughs> I know these so lots though. They are so cute. <laughs> As you might imagine, being Miss Black USA comes with a certain amount of responsibility. And I was just wondering how Daphne felt about that. People treated her any differently? And what are some ways that she likes to give back? I still go back to Rawway. I make sure I do that. I still hang with family and friends. And I tell people, they're like, oh, you're Miss Black USA. Let me bow down. No, I'm still Daphne Lee from Rawway. I'm the same girl who comes home after work, plops all my stuff in the ground, go make some popcorn and watch TV. Like that's that's the real Daphne. So I think it's about being genuine, being real, being tangible to young people, letting them see my images, letting them know that I'm 
not perfect, that what you see is not an alteration. It's just a vision of my journey and you can choose to follow it and be inspired. That's what I want young people to know. Well, we have had an amazing time. One of the things that we want to always do as we wrap up each interview with every phenomenal woman, young lady, girl, is to lead them into what our mission is. And and that's to basically highlight highlight people who are women who are just in the trenches and, and doing, doing. And so we left Daphne with this open-ended question. Brown girls do... And this is what she said. Brown girls do incredible things. They make it work. They make magic. They soar and they believe. And we just continue to invest in them. Let it happen. So first, we want to thank Daphne for her time and for being our first guest on the Brown Girls Do podcast, which we might really seem like we know what we're doing, but I mean, we're, we're really just <laughs> trying to figure it out. Um, so she was a little bit of a guinea pig and we really appreciate that. Thank you, Daphne. We also would like to thank Alonzo Powell with Sounds Like So for editing this podcast and just for putting up with us. Thank you, So Seriously. Also, Lemon Drop Media for believing in us and this idea that they helped to plant and potentially, potentially dealing with our crazy because this has been an interesting process so far. Oh, yeah. And if there are any brown girls out there that we need to meet that you know about, please don't hesitate to reach out to us on any of our social media channels just so we can uh, check them out. And that's Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. And we hope you enjoy the Brown Girls Do podcast.